Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. And I'm Aubrey, and we are so excited because we have another incredible episode for you. I feel like we say that every week, Davey, but we need it every week. It's always sincere. (laughs) Yeah, every week is incredible. I'm astounded by that, honestly, Aubrey. I am. I'm like, man, Lord, you keep bringing these amazing stories, amazing people onto this podcast to have, I'm just, I'm blown away. It is so true. It is so true. The stories that you are sharing with us are just incredible. Nothing is wasted, folks. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And thank you for listening each and every week. Yes. So um, this one is really cool. This is uh, our special guest is Dr. Mark Mayfield. He's a pastor, author, licensed professional counselor. He has a passion for the integration of mental health and faith, which I think is like so crucial, especially in this day and age. He's written two books. One is called, I love this title, Help, My Teen is Self-Injuring, A Crisis Manual for Parents, and then The Path Out of Loneliness, Finding and Fostering Connection to God, Ourselves, and One Another. So Dr. Mark Mayfield Mayfield not only has the education, but obviously the experience, the passion, the empathy um, to bring a lot to this conversation. Yeah, that is the the cool thing about kind of the triangulation of his story. It's that not only did he experience it himself, right? Then he also went and got educated on this and, yeah. and, and, and then he works with other people in this. So he has this beautiful, uh, cocktail, I guess you could say of mm-hmm. really well-informed, um, education as well as a, this coming from this faith, Holy spirit trust, you know, that there's just the power that only the Holy spirit can bring into healing situations. And so this, yeah. I mean, I'm blown away by this guy. I'm so excited. And the other thing I'm blown away by, Aubrey, is that he could probably, he was saying everything we say at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Amazing. And it's almost like, you know when you bring a guest speaker into your into your church, Aubrey, and uh-huh. you're like, these are the things I've been trying to you know, say yes. to our congregation. Yes. over, And it falls on deaf ears because they're just... <laughs> Ad They're used to hearing voice, you or whatever, voice. right? right. <laughs> and someone else comes in and says, I'm like just amen and over here. You could probably uh, see me on YouTube where you're like, yep, there's another <laughs> one where he's just like, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Yes, that's the point I've been trying to make. Amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, amazing. I'm going to read um, a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this review is titled Pain is Inevitable. Everyone experiences some pain in their lives, whether traumatic or not. The stories of people walking through their pain are very helpful in giving hope that you are not alone and the pain isn't wasted in God's economy. This podcast has not only helped me work through my own pain, it has also helped me be more compassionate and encouraging to others dealing with their own pain. Mm. Very, very cool. Thank you so much mm, for that. That's so good. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for that. And we would love to invite you. It, you know, if this podcast has meant anything to you, if you've been encouraged by God through it, we would love to invite you to write a review on Apple yeah. Podcasts. Um, because not only, I mean, not only does that help the message of of nothing is wasted go out into the world, um, because you know, it changes the algorithms or or whatever. Also, people read your reviews and they meet God and are encouraged to listen through those reviews. So they have a very, I mean, they're a ministry in and of themselves to write those reviews. So So if, if God's done anything, encourage your heart, we would love to have you go 
onto Apple Podcasts and rate and review. And of course, subscribe today as well. That's right. That's right. Share this episode. And um, you're, I promise after we get through, you're going to want to share this episode. So let's listen to my conversation with Dr. Mark Mayfield. Well, Dr. Mark Mayfield, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. We were just talking about just a second ago off air about the respective places that we are from, and I'm very jealous of where you're living. And it sounds like you're moving, and I'm like, man, just why would you ever move from beautiful God's country of Colorado? But uh, yeah, whew. I've been here for like thirty some odd years, so it's time for a change of pace, <laughs> right? I mean, I gotta see more of the country. <laughs> I know, man. I'm over here in the flatlands of Indiana, going, why do I live around cornfields when there's like majestic <laughs> mountains out there? Just you know, a hop, skip, and a jump over a couple of states. Yeah, but, but man, you guys got more water. You got lakes, and that's know, true. It's hard to find that around here. Summers are wonderful here. They're wonderful here. Winters are where we get kind of woof. You just get yeah, bogged down, right? right? Um, which, you know, it's interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about that concept. I mean, even just kind of this concept of, of loneliness and depression and getting to a place where, you know, in your own story, you, um, you've you been very outspoken about just this, uh, this season of life where you got to where you're like, I don't, I don't know if I want to continue to live. And um, mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of people who are in that space right now. And so we're going to talk about your story and that I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about before we dive into your story, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do and what, what's, what's your life look like right now. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of in transition. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I've been a, a pastor for um, a number of years and then uh, jumped into uh, getting my master's and PhD in counseling and really taking a different uh, perspective of pastoring through the role of counseling and, um, I've worked many jobs, but uh, the last one was uh, founding a nonprofit counseling center in Colorado here that uh, really meets the needs of the least of these. Um, did that for seven years and just moved from being CEO to just a, be- a board member and founder, uh, but really feel like God's leading me to be a church planter for counseling centers. And so we're jumping into uh, a couple different churches in the uh, country that are looking for a nonprofit counseling center consulting and support. So I won't be doing any leading. It'll be do more in you know, the setting it up and the, uh, the, the launching of, and so doing that and then doing a lot of consulting and now kind of more executive coaching, uh, for mental and emotional wellness among teams and, uh, congregations, churches, businesses, organizations. So, uh, it's, it's been fun to see how it's morphed. Um, still do a lot of work with, um, you know, uh, suicide, self-injury, you know, but I really feel like mental health, needs a a different conversation than we've had because the stigma is still held on quite a bit. And um, part of the reason I wrote the book on loneliness versus a different topic uh, is I think we need to look at it from a perspective that everybody can understand uh, in a way that is um, maybe challenging, but not scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I love that you're saying, I mean, the mental health has become a conversation that has it's become in vogue in, in a lot of ways. We're like becoming more aware of it and the church is lagging behind. Right. But they're starting mm-hmm. to talk about it a little bit. And um, I'm intrigued. And maybe we, maybe we go here before we kind of hear your story or maybe this dovetails when you say that you're have you want to have the conversation in a way that's different than what it has been. What do you mean by that? Well, I think over the years, I mean, stigma, you think about just the history of our country and kind of the independent spirit, let's, you know, 
uh, you know, how often do we hear on the news, you know, you're not going to take away my freedoms. I'm going to, you know, all this kind of stuff and not to put a political spin on things, but just kind of seeing how our country has been since its inception, it's been very much an independent spirit. So when we get to a place where we can't do it or we are struggling, uh, there's such a stigma around asking for help or saying that I'm not able to do this on my own. Mm. Um, and so we talk about mental health and mental illness, uh, but do we really normalize it to a place that that we all can go, hey, I can relate to that in the sense of, well, I'm not going to be diagnosed with, you know, general anxiety disorder or bipolar or major depressive disorder, but I struggle with some anxiety and fear and I struggle with some depression or I struggle with ups and downs. Uh, where's that place for me? Where's that conversation for me? Uh, cause I think we, we've always, I shouldn't say always, I don't like using extreme language like that, but I think often we wait until we're in crisis mode before we reach out for help. Right. And my desire is to, level the playing field of let's have conversations about our emotions. Let's have conversations about um, difficult emotions. There's no good or bad emotions. They're just emotions. And how do we sit with those and how do we walk through those? And, you know, uh, how do we talk about failure, loss, and disappointment, which are now thresholds for suicide and self-injury for our teenagers? You know, uh, I mean, just a lot of different things where I think our country and, and just our, the church in general has done a disservice to this conversation, in my opinion, and not to point fingers or be, totally fatalistic, but I got to be honest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree. You know, I think that uh, the, as we're working with people through the pain to purpose course and we're launching it in churches, we're seeing that, that this is, this is kind of a, in some ways it very much still is a revolutionary concept in the church. You know, there still is a pervasive stigma of, Hey, uh, you, you're not supposed to feel these emotions. If you don't, if you feel these particular emotions, you're probably not a good follower of Jesus. You're a bad Christian, right? And yet right. we see that God is an emotional God. He wired us with these emotions for reasons, right? They're, they're supposed to indicate something to us to move us toward him even more. Well, it's interesting that you said that because I was just, uh, I'm, I'm writing my next book right now and, um, I just, I was just baffled by this statement. I think when we talk about uh, our emotions um, is that we don't pay attention to the fact well, we, we hear, I, mean, I don't know about you, where, how you grew up in the church or where you grew up, but I always heard Jeremiah, um, let me see if I can find it real quick. The Jeremiah 17, nine, right? The heart yeah. is deceitful above all right. else, you know, and, and we hear that. I've, I, I grew up in a Baptist church. I heard that all the time. Yep. And the, the message that I heard was, you know, our, our heart is deceitful. Our emotions are deceitful. So yep. don't pay attention to them. Like just right. pass them by, but you don't read the rest of the, the rest of the chapter is interesting. You know, so I'm, I'm read it real quick. This is, you know, the, the first part, this is the message. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. A puzzle that no one can figure out, but I, God search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. Mm. I get to the root of all things and I treat them as they are, not as they pretend to be. Wow. Why don't we, why don't we talk about that? Right. Right. right? Yep. We just, we take these verses. And so I'm not, you know, that's where I think I, I got bottled up so much in my own story was like, I, I'm a very emotional person. Uh, and that was not allowed. That was not, uh, encouraged. Uh, in fact, it was the opposite. And, you know, and then you hear these types of things spoken from youth group or the pulpit, right. And, you know, that narrative that I kept on telling myself was diving me deeper and deeper into yeah. despair, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, yeah. And so I think, you know, I, I wrote the book to the, you know, my, the, my first book, I wrote that to the church and to mm -hmm. the, you know, 
to not just uh, pastors and leaders, but to the to everyone. And it's just interesting how it's been received. You know, it's in, in some circles, it's been received really, really well. Uh, and others, you know, I'm getting criticized left and right of why would I, why would I talk? You know, I mean, just probably the same thing with what you do with the pain sure. to purpose and, and this podcast, right? You get a, a kind of a mixed bag of reception. Right. Well, that's, that's absolutely right. Cause I think one of the reasons why the church has been afraid to approach this topic is because we're afraid that in the midst of addressing or, or peering into our emotions, we're going to forsake God's word, right? The truth that's supposed to be the anchor for our life. And we're going to begin to make decisions that are based purely out of our emotions. Right. And so that becomes a fear. So we, so we just diminish it all in general and we go, no, no, we can't, we can't do that. We've got to just hold strong to God's word. And it's like, well, we're doing ourselves and everybody else a disservice by not addressing these things, because actually these emotions give us clues into where we are in our path of, of, of our yep. walk with Christ. Right. And where yep. we are situationally and what kinds of maybe, maybe what kinds of idols that we have hidden, buried deep inside of our, our story that the Lord's trying to reveal to us. And he's trying to expose those things. And he wants us to wrestle with this and he wants us to, mm-hmm. it's a lot more of a, uh, a lot more of a, um, Oh, I don't know what the, the it, it's not as black and white as what we, we tend to kind of blanket sure. it as. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I make the argument that if we become more familiar with our emotions, you know, in some ways I call it like becoming old friends with our emotions, <laughs> right. That we are actually going to be more Christ-like, <laughs> not saying that we're going to let our emotions dictate how we think that's yeah. God gave us a frontal cortex, you know, right. a, a thinking part of the brain to, to decipher and disseminate what is true and what is not, mm. but to dismiss the emotion. But emotions are just, you know, neurophysiological mm. responses to internal external stimuli. We make meaning based off of that, right? Yeah. Culturally, uh, whether it be from our own families of origin, but within the church or whatever. Uh, so I don't know why we categorize them as good or bad. Uh, they should be just like, oh, like you said, they're indicators, that, yep. you know. My, my light came on, my check engine light came on in my car. Exactly. I better figure out what's going on. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, ironically, I mean, and we're going down this rabbit trail a little bit. I want to get to kind of your story and how all this became an, an inspiration to you. But ironically, you know, you talk about the relationship between our emotions and the prefrontal cortex and of our brain. I feel like that I've seen and experienced the more that we dismiss our emotions, the more our prefrontal cortex gets um, shut down. Right. And that's what happens mm-hmm. in trauma is that we our prefrontal cortex, our decision making part of our brain gets shut down and we all of a sudden start moving into this, you know, really animalistic, instinctive fight, flight or freeze mode. Right. Yep. But the more you begin to get curious about your emotions, the more you're able, even in those moments, to downregulate that instinct. And, yep. oh, absolutely. and begin to re-engage the prefrontal cortex because you've done the exercises to go, wait a minute, what am I feeling right now? What is this telling me mm-hmm. about where I'm at right now? How do I begin to, like I said, downregulate some of these things? And so it's ironic that we've been saying, you know, the church has been saying, don't, don't put, shove those, don't, you know, don't dismiss those. And yet because of that, now we're firing even more into this, um, less, uh, you know, less human version of ourselves, right? Right. Less holistic version of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Well, let's, let's dive in and talk to me about your journey a little bit yeah. and, and how all this plays into it. 
Well, I, I think this is, I mean, I love that question because I think most of us, at least those that I've worked with, we don't validate our stories as, as much as we should, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, like, oh, I didn't have a, you know, a, I was, you know, on drugs. And then one moment God met me in the street corner and I, you know, had this miraculous I, mean, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, which was great. You know, I, I am so grateful for that and thankful for that. My parents were both uh, Christian educators, um, but I, um, you know, I had a lot of attachment disruptions. I was born two and a half months premature. Um, you know, back in the '80s, that was you know th- thrown into an incubator and uh, no physical contact, and we know that that's vital for attach- attachment bonding and that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, I. I I was a very uh, unique child in the sense that I was very emotional. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, knowing the language I've got, I was you know emotionally intelligent earlier on than most. Right. Um, but my emotions would come out in just big swaths of yeah. uh, reactions, and you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, and I and, you know, and I, I'm currently writing about it, and so I was reflecting on like my parents did the best they could with what they knew. Like they were mm-hmm. you know they grew up uh, were raised by depression era. Yeah. you know, uh, parents and, dirt on you know, it, the fifties and sixties and, you know, and so it's kind of, um, you know, so I was just, I was, uh, as I've talked to my parents, that's not what they intended, but what happened was I was just, I was dismissed, go to your room until you calm down, then you mm-hmm. come back and be a part of the family type of thing. And so, you know, I go to my room and I'd be crying, you know, and I'd be like, okay, wh- why am I sent away? You know, and you create these narratives around your own, uh, way that other people react to your emotions and uh, very sensitive too, in the sense of uh, you know, the highly sensitive uh, person where, you know, tags on clothes and, you know, chewing and, you know, all these kinds of things, all my senses were always firing. And so it was overwhelming very much at the time. Um, but as I got older, you know, so living, I, I grew up in California first 10 years of my life, had a lot of really good friends, a lot of great uh, community, small town. Uh, but then we moved to Colorado and, you know, you're the odd odd person out. I looked like a, a white version of Steve Urkel from the show Family Matters, you know, with my pants real up high and the braces and the glasses. And, you know, kids kids can be cruel. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, kind of stayed under the radar in fourth and fifth grade, but then got to sixth grade and, you know, uh, just beat up, bullied, made fun of. Was that a Christian school, right? Stuffed in lockers, twirlies, can't, you know, called, you know, horrible things. I think the thing that the memory that really sticks with me was I was in front of class teacher stepped out or the boys came down and did pants me and took my underwear down with it mm. in front of the whole class, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, not big T type trauma, but trauma right. that, that really stuck small T trauma that just, you know, shame, guilt, yep. fear, you know, and I didn't have, I know, you know, we know that when those kinds of things happen, the, the Barocas region of the brain, the language part of the brain actually does turn off, mm-hmm. right? Because we're in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. And so and we can't put language to it uh, the way we need to. And especially as a middle schooler, I couldn't put language to it. So mm-hmm. uh, just kind of suffered in silence and it turned into uh, a massive uh, migraine uh, headache that started in January of my sixth grade year and lasted for about six months. And so, you know, still couldn't put language to it, right? So my mom and dad did what they knew best and took me to neurologists and, you know, MRIs, blood blood draws, spinal taps, all this kind of stuff just to go, why is this, you know, excruciating pain all the time? Um, you know, and, and I always, in my story, I always t- I talk about the idea that I don't know if I was actively suicidal. I just wanted the pain to end, mm. you know, and so um, the 
the probably April of that year, you know, depression at an all time high, anxiety, fear, the pain was, you know, excruciating, couldn't put words to it. Um, on medication to try to help with the headaches and stuff. And so, but one night I cried myself to sleep and I, I woke up and I'm like, I, I just need this pain to end. So I went downstairs and uh, searched for a bottle of Tylenol and ended up taking the whole thing. Wow. Uh, you know, hoping that I wouldn't wake up. I was 12, right? I mean, wow. trying to cognitively think through that yeah, uh, right. wasn't happening. But woke up probably 10, 15 minutes later with excruciating pain in the stomach. I think things had, you know, yeah. interacted with each other or whatever. I don't, I don't, you know, know fully. But took me to the hospital and uh, had that, you know, throat numbing charcoal crap, yeah. you know, getting you know, to be able to make sure that it was neutralized. And then I think, but that was the, that was when my family was like, okay, this is, this is, and the neurologist was like, this is more than just yeah. physiological. In fact, it's probably not physiological at all. You know, the body's reacting to the internal despair and struggle. And we know from a holistic standpoint that, yeah. you know, our, our mental and emotional health actually has a direct link and effect on our body. Right. Uh, and so got into a psychologist, uh, with my dad, my dad and I did therapy together, our really repaired and grew up our relationship. I was on medication for my depression for a while. Uh, and you know, it didn't, I, I wish I could say it turned around immediately, but it, it didn't. I mean, it was, um, probably two or three years until I got into high school and really found you know, a place in, like baseball and theater and different things that uh, kind of gave me a purpose that kind of pulled me out of that. Um, wow. And my dad and I joke, you know, he goes, you know, you went from that to getting to be a freshman at college and traveling the world, you know? Uh, so mm. just, it, you know, it's a, it kind of neat to see the, the progression, but um, you know, I, I, as I tell the story, it's just, it's interesting to me just how, <clears throat> on the outside looking in, it makes sense. Right. Uh, but and the, yeah, how disruptive and how confusing it was as a 12 year old looking, looking out. Wow. Man, there's so many things, so many rabbit trails I want to take with the story that you just uh, like, uh, I mean, first of all, it's amazing what you have walked through and, you know, at such an early age, what, like what you said, where you couldn't put language to it, you know, mm-hmm. on some level at our age now, as you start, if you start to begin to walk through stuff like that, you have some tools in your tool belt to be able to go, okay, I know, I know what I need to be doing here, but man, before you're 12 years old, you're wrestling through all this stuff. I find it very, very fascinating that your migraine headaches, you can now look back and say, no, it was a direct result of this inner turmoil that was happening um, mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you, for a little bit, explain some of that connection for, you know, you got a, you got a DR in front of your name right here. (laughs) So I know that you've got some education on this, but help our listeners to understand this. We talk about this a lot. We've talked about the body keeps the score. We've talked about some of those concepts, but I'd love for you to explain in as, you know, in, in terms that we can really wrap our mind around, like what, what does this mean? What do you mean that, that my emotions and my, my mental health is going to affect and manifest itself physically? Well, uh, I can think of two analogies that can maybe give somebody a visual. You remember uh, the 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 Pringles can snake trick? You know, you put the <laughs> you, you stuff the snake into the Pringles can, and somebody opens it up, and it just comes yeah. spewing out everywhere, and you know, it and 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 fierceness and velocity, you know, or or you know, for those that are a little bit older, you know, uh, you know, 
the uh, Instapot is is the new version of right. you know the pressure cooker that right. we had you know, growing up. My grandmother had one always on the stove and that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, and, and which I was by the way sealed. very deceived by the Instapot because it's still not very instant. And my wife had to explain to me the other no, day, no, compared to a pressure cooker. It is very yeah. instant. I'm like, it's still taking like several hours for this thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, but you put a fr- frozen chicken in there and it'll come out in two hours. Right. Type of, yeah. But yeah, like, you know, so, so the snake thing or, but like a, a pressure cooker, right? And, right? and you can't just open the lid with a pressure cooker. You have to release the valve. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I look at our bodies as, as kind of that, um, that vessel that if we don't have a release, a release valve mm-hmm. uh, or a way to release certain things, it's going to go somewhere, mm. right? And we know that, I mean, just very basic, when we are dealing with internal turmoil or external turmoil that is internalized, uh, our body goes into that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Uh, our brain, so there's a part of the brain called the amygdala. It's part of the cortical limbic system that is turned on and it, it activates our nervous system, you know, the, the, the sympathetic nervous system of like, Hey, I probably should be in a protective mode. Something's going on. I can't put my finger on it, but yeah. let's, let's be alert. Uh, and I won't go into detail what it does, but it gets the body ready, you know, mm-hmm. to go. Um, but if that is not dealt with, right. If that's not a short term, like I just need to protect myself and then I'm going to turn off my parasympathetic nervous system gets turned on and everything kind of comes back to equilibrium. And then what we have is an adrenal dump and a, uh, a stress hormone called cortisol dump uh, that is kind of left on. It's like that dripping faucet. Yeah. And what that does is it uh, it keeps us maybe under the surface aroused and alert to make sure that we're protected, but it weakens our immune system. Uh, it shrinks the size of our brain physically, actually, uh, so that our, our frontal cortex, as you talked about earlier, doesn't have the ability to... Uh, step in and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like that's yes, something's not right, but let's think about why. Uh, and so it, it begins to tear away at this foundation. Now I can get into more detail about, you know, the way the body goes and tries to fight those kinds of things. But really the basic piece is that when we are in turmoil and we don't have a way to release it, Mm. it has to go someplace. And typically it gets stuck in our nervous system and in our organs uh, and it begins to deteriorate right um, one uh, one amazing study uh, is we can link the health of our cardiovascular system to the health of our relationships mm. wow. right so how much our blood vessels are actually uh, expanded or constricted um, and how our heart is pumping and working is is actually can be linked to the quality and the safety of our relationships. Wow. Like that, like if God, like that just point back to the, yeah. the way God intended it. I don't know what does. Yeah. That's what I love about it. My wife's a medical provider. She's a PA. And so it's really fun to talk with her about this kind of stuff because and I say this all the time on the podcast, but it's, it's like when I hear things from her on how our body works, I, I it me, I'm like, man, that's amazing how God made it to work like this. Right. Whereas oftentimes science and Christianity seem to be in contention with each other. It's like, no, 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 no. This is awesome to discover how God has wired us Mm -hmm. to work and the inner relationship between and the integration between our mental health, our spiritual health, health, our emotional health and our physical health. And so, you know, case in point, um, my wife, Christy just got, she woke up a couple weeks ago with just like this crick in her neck and it evolved into 
having to get an MRI and seeing some terms that I in her C4, C5 that I can't even explain right. And so she's she's thinking, do I need to get surgery? She's 37 years old. Like, do I have to get surgery on my neck? Well, even as a medical provider, she is cognizant enough in the relationship between her emotional health and mental health and her physical health uh, to know that I'm not going to necessarily, that's not the first resort that I'm going to go to, right? Let's, th- let's think about some things. You know, she knew she had been under a ton of stress recently and, you know, so let's think about some other, some other things first and, uh, and, and, and address these, not to say that like anytime you have physical pain, you don't need to look at the, right. There's definitely situations sure. where that's got to be the case. Right. But it's like, right. I, I guess the point I'm making is, you know, we want to address the whole person. And that's, that's what the church has failed to do in the past. We've just addressed the spiritual nature and yep. it's what the medical world has failed to do in the past too. We've just addressed the physical nature and there's so much more involved here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And, and I see it. I mean, I've got countless stories. I've shared quite a few of them in my book, but countless stories of we release the, the valve, uh, and, and the physical symptoms go away. Right. Right. Now. Okay. So. To that end, in your story, um, did you see that begin to take place? I know you talked about your, you and your dad started having counseling, repaired a lot of the relationship right there, and some things where he was misunderstanding, you know, misinterpreting mm-hmm. what was going on. Um, how did that begin to happen in your story? Did you see as the release valve was being, you know, being opened up, that physical manifestation of these things began to subside? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was put on Prozac. Uh, for a couple months uh, to kind of help stabilize. And then, you know, it's, it's interesting when we're able to put words to our stories, it's, you know, this is not rocket science. And that's mm-hmm. why I tell people like, I'm glad that I'm a counselor, but really the church should be the one leading the charge in this. And there's basic, right. s- simple tools you don't need a master's or a PhD for. Right. Uh, and one of them is just unlocking somebody's story. Yep. And so exactly. asking curious questions, not trying to fix or give advice, just leaning in, you know, and, and wanting to know. And so I think I was able to put some words to my story finally, uh, that helped unlock a lot of that, uh, pent up or backlog of, of stress, of, uh, fear of pain, of sorrow, uh, depression, you know, and, and like I said, it was a process because, you know, I'm, I don't know about you or your listeners. I, I don't do well with small talk in relationships. I do well, like I like to go deep with people. I like to get to know their stories. Right. And so it was always been hard for me to make friends because most people are afraid of that yeah. connection, you know? And so it wasn't like I, you know, had all this happen and, you know, boom, I had a best friend and we were, we were great. Like, I don't think I really had a really close friend, uh, you know, before my wife. And then after that, a guy friend didn't really happen until probably about seven or eight years ago, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it wasn't like this, this, I want people to understand. It's not that like the, the heavens opened up and everything was better. It was, I was able to put words and language to my story, recognize that I wasn't broken or something wasn't severely wrong with me. It was just, here's what happened. And I began to be comfortable and confident in my own skin. Yeah. And I think that's particularly difficult for, um, for men, you know, for whatever reason, we are the gender that is, you know, labeled as, or our typecast is that we're supposed to not talk about emotions, not talk about the things that are going on. Right. And we find that uh, so often, right. I mean, I was just leading a workshop this past Monday where a guy raised his hand and I'm 
continually talking about, hey, we need to address our emotions. We need to look into them. We peer into them. We need to, you know, let's gain an emotional vocab beyond the six words that we know that's like, I'm mad, happy, angry, right? Like, right. So, um, this guy was like, but I don't know how to do that. Right. And all the men in that room were echoing that same thing. And their wives are just like sitting there on edge. Cause they're wishing they're like, D- can you give them some kind of insight, please? Because we want this so badly for them to be able to express their emotions. But it is like, it's more, I feel like it's very difficult for us as men. I'm a wing four on the Enneagram. I have no idea if you know Enneagram or what you, but because oh, yeah, of that, I, I am yep. very much, I, I feel things deeply. And I found that it's difficult in just a machismo type culture sometimes to, to go, man, I don't know how to connect sometimes in conversation yep. with men. Cause it's all about these surface level things. And I want to get to the heart of the matter on some, some things. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. The genuineness of it, you know? And I think that's where our society has done a disservice and the church has done a disservice, you know? And so I love that there are many, many more, uh, organizations, churches, groups that are having these conversations, right? So it may not happen on the national stage. It's going to happen in the communities. It's going to happen in the grassroots uh, areas, you know, and that's what, what I love about it. Yeah. The Nothing is Wasted team is so excited to tell you about a brand new opportunity. Have you ever wanted to meet with one of our certified coaches, but either time or resources has prevented you from taking the next step in your healing journey? We understand that these are real barriers for many of our listeners. Therefore, for the first time ever, we are offering group coaching. With group coaching, you'll receive six one-hour sessions. And the sessions are offered at a fraction of the investment when compared to our one-on-one coaching. Group coaching also allows you direct access to our Nothing Is Wasted certified coaches, helpful course materials, six group coaching sessions, and connections with others who understand your story. We are offering three unique group coaching opportunities this spring, making your way through the early stages of grief, pain to purpose, and uncovering and recovering from your trauma. We pray that you'll consider being part of this limited time offer and take intentional steps towards your healing journey. To learn more and to register, visit nothingiswasted.com forward slash group coaching. Spots are limited and our group coaching sessions start the week of April 18th. So don't delay in signing up. We look forward to seeing you then. You, you said something that really perked my interest too. And you kind of, it felt you kind of glossed over it a little bit, but you're like, once I began to find some purpose and some things that helped to pull me out of it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit because we issue all the time that that is a, that is an essential component to you walking through your Valley is, is finding oh, and yeah. identifying what purpose and meaning can be, you know, can be formed from this and then walking in that purpose and meaning. Talk to, talk to me yeah, about your experience. I, yeah, I talk about kind of just, in my opinion, the three components of walking out of loneliness is this idea that we need to know whose we are, our identity, right? Yep. And and I think in a society, we always talk about who am I? Uh, and, yeah. I and I think that's a decent question, but I think we, you know, we're not going to answer that fully unless we ask ourselves whose we are. And, you know, and, and that can be answered in a bunch of different ways, right? Uh, as as believers, we answer that in that that we are you know, redeemed sons and daughters of the most high God, you know, and, and, but anybody can answer that, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I am, uh, you know, identified by 
my worldview or my job or different things like that. But I think out of identity comes purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think only true purpose comes out of answering the question of whose we are. And so uh, I began to wrestle with that, I think. Um, But in that too, it was really beginning to unfold how I was wired instead of being ashamed for my emotions and feeling things deeply and being an empath and all those kinds of things like, Oh, this is actually a gift. Uh, what do I do with that? And, and, you know, started doing mission trips, you know, uh, with my youth group, uh, you know, summers, uh, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. And then I'm like, you know what I want to do youth ministry. And so, uh, I found, uh, Colorado Christian university and did a youth ministry and biblical studies degree and thought I was going to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. And so took <laughs> an amazing do, right? job. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I took an amazing job as a youth pastor up in, in Breckenridge, uh, wow. Colorado and, and did that for five years and loved it. And, uh, there was still a piece missing. And when I had a young man die by suicide and another person overdose, uh, in the community, I'm like, I need, I need, there's more. You're right. I'm not living out the purpose that God has ordained for me fully. And so set me on my journey. But I think that's, that is the easiest way forward and the hardest thing to to, to, to figure out. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they go, okay, that's great. Great, Mark. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know, I, who's am I? I know I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God, but I don't know how to figure out my purpose. Mm. And I think that's where we do as a society kind of gloss over that. Well, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a, a, a husband, a wife, you're a, you know, you're a teacher or like, eh. no, those are just, I think those are actually like, components of how we're living out our purpose, but it's not really what our purpose is. And so, you know, I I recently just reevaluated my own purpose and and the the, kind of the clear picture that I got is that I'm the navigation for the mental health journey for anybody that wants to walk with me. And like, that's a, that's a clear picture, clear purpose, but it brings together everything that I've experienced in my life to this point of, I want to help people navigate, you know, and, and navigate emotions and mental health. And, and so, I think that's where podcasts like this, I think really, I always tell people everybody needs a life coach and everybody needs a therapist Yeah, that's right. Uh, because you need to work through the stuff that got you here. And then you need to help somebody help you walk through where you're going. Yeah. And uh, that's how we figure those things out. Right. But so identity uh, purpose, and then we have hope. Mm. And I think hope is that catalyst of if anything can be thrown at me and I might have bouts of depression, I might have bouts of anxiety. I might, struggle with, uh, you know, self-esteem and different things like that, or bouts of, of feeling lonely. But when I have hope, it's, those things are temporary because mm-hmm. hope is eternal. Wow. Wow. So good. Okay. A couple things you said right there that I want to just lean in on the, first of all, you, you at least are leading us to believe that our purpose is, it, it can be evolving because it, it has to constitute some of the building blocks of what we've walked through, right? Like, Oh yeah. It's part of our experience, part of our training, part of our, you know, um, Oh gosh, the author's escaping me right now, but, um, we talk about him quite a bit. The the making of a leader is the name of the book that he wrote. Um, uh, I, I will put it in the show notes, but he, he talks about how there's this like, convergence that happens with, you know, the training that we go undergo our, our upbringing, our, um, our life experiences, the dark, the dark night of the soul that we walk through, where all of that converges mm-hmm. into understanding your purpose. So there's a certain, there's a certain, uh, there's certain building blocks that must be put in place for you to start to understand your purpose, which means you got to draw back and go, 
well, what are these building blocks and how do I can tr- how can I triangulate those things to begin to understand what my purpose is? And then the second thing you're saying right there is that you you cannot identify you can, or you can't define your purpose as like a career path because that mm-hmm. career path might change. And then if you've built your entire purpose on that career path and your identity in that, when, when the Lord calls you something else or you lose your job or whatever, right now you're left in shambles going, what's my purpose? And the reality is, is your purpose is something deeper than that. And it might just happen to flesh out in this career path during this season, Mm -hmm. but you can easily take that purpose and go into a different career path. If you need to, the purpose is still the same though. Yeah, absolutely. I like people go, well, you've changed things a lot over your life. I'm like, yeah, but I said the threat, the thread is that back in after my story, you know, even before my story, you know, of, of struggle, God instilled in me a a deep desire to to shepherd and to help people. Mm. And that, that has never changed. It's just become clearer. Wow. Wow. That's so good. Okay. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about Well, first of all, let me just say this as a preface. You could probably host the nothing is wasted podcast from here on out because the things you're saying right here are things <laughs> we are constantly talking about. And I'm so glad it's coming from you because that means it's not just stuff we came up with. This is stuff that's like sure. universal truths, but you yeah. just said, oh, yeah, you think everybody needs a life coach and a therapist. We, so our three circles that we have built our ministry around is content community and coaching. And we tell people you need a counselor and you need a coach. We actually offer coaching. We have 30 coaches across the, the, the world right now that coach people in targeted areas based on the pain journey that they're going through. Right. And so, so we tell people there's a difference. There's a counselor, there's a coach. You need both of those things from your vantage point. What would you say the difference between those are, are dive into it a little bit more. Yeah, because I'm actually have trans trans uh, transitioned my career a little bit to counsel from counseling to coaching. So I do a lot of coaching now myself uh, um, in churches and leaders and that kind of stuff. So I always look at therapy and and mental health, and people will disagree with me on this, but it's it's kind of understanding and figuring out how we got here today. Mm. So it's it's you know developmental, it's historical, it's narrative, yeah. uh, you know, it's working through trauma, it's working through shame, it's you know. It's creating context and content around uh, who we are and why we're where we're at, and so a lot of healing needs to happen, right? Mm-hmm. I look at coaching as going, okay, now what? What do I do with all that? Like, wow. I've I've got context, I've got understanding, uh, I've got language around it. Uh, so how do I, you know, and to be really blunt, how do I not waste it? Yeah. Right. Like, how do I not waste my story and what God has done and how I've healed from these different things and, and how I'm continuing to heal. Right. And so I think therapy wow. can is something that can be uh, it can be a moment in time or for like me, uh, I've got a therapist on speed dial that mm-hmm. I will see and check in maybe every, you know, every quarter. And then if something comes up, I'm going to that stirs up past things, right? I'm going to kind of come back. Oh, I still need to process where coaching is. Okay. Like, you know, how many people in the country actually set up goals? Not very many. Like, how do I, how do I live out my purpose? How do I live out, uh, you know, and, and create legacy and create, you know, purpose and, and those ripple effects that are greater than me, whether, whether it be a, a, a mom, you know, that's, Right now, her purpose is staying at home, or a dad that's a stay-at-home dad, and they want to create that legacy and that purpose for their children, whatever that looks like, right? But I think that's what coaching does, uh, and, and it provides those those tools and steps forward. Wow, wow, I love that. Counseling really helps you to get a clear picture of of how I got to this point. What what 
what made me into what I am right now, right? Good, bad, and ugly. And then right. what? Then now, and, and the healing that happens there. And then now, what do I do with that information? How do I move forward mm-hmm. in ongoing healing? Yes, but also have a plan to be able to say, okay, this is right. how I'm going to. I'm going to be a blessing to the world now with what I'm I'm learning about myself. And uh, man, I hope. Okay, that, that's how we change the narrative. Like to be honest, right? Yep. That's how we change the narrative. It's one one story at a time. That's right. That's right. Um. Man. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, about this book, the path out of loneliness. Okay. I loved it. I, I was very intrigued by the title because one of the most healing um, resources that I read right after my wife passed away was the path of loneliness by Elizabeth Elliot. So then I saw this title oh, yeah. the path out of loneliness and I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. this is awesome because loneliness was something that, that I had to really deal with after, <laughs> you know, losing my wife going like, man, I feel very lonely. Right. I feel very, Mm -hmm. this is, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about this idea for you kind of, um, kind of dissect loneliness a little bit for us and what it does for us, what it does, you know, what it detracts from us as human beings, but also what it can do for us. Right. Sure. Absolutely. I think, um, my biggest thing is I am, uh, always, um, just a big proponent of the fact that we language creates culture and meaning, right? So, uh, we need to have a definite definition. I think this is where we get in trouble. A lot of times we don't have, um, clear definitions. Uh, and so we are all, we think we're saying the same thing, but we're not right. So I think before you know, I answer that question, let's talk real quick about how I define loneliness. And people yeah. can disagree with me on this, but the way I define loneliness is the state of being unseen or unnoticed uh, relationally, mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually. And it's driven by a lack of purpose or meaning, relationships and or identity. And it's really marked by a deep sense of hopelessness, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to, I, I have to have all those components, you know, because we talk about holistic health, mind, body, spirit, relationships. But I really think loneliness is this this piece of being unseen or unnoticed. Uh, we can be lonely in a crowd. Yep. We can be lonely in a family. Yep. We can be completely content and happy by ourselves. Like, right. like it, you know, there's both sides, right? Uh, but I think uh, loneliness, in some ways, is a state of mind that creates a state of being, um, mm-hmm. and it's what we tell ourselves about where we're at. And so I'm not saying this to to you know be be down on people that are struggling with loneliness, but I would really encourage people to take a step back and go, okay, what meaning have I been making around my about my circumstances, mm. and how has that contributed to the loneliness? But then also go into that physiological piece of how have my circumstances kind of created some of those roadblocks in me physiologically, and then relationships. Do I have people around me? Do I have a, a, a thousand friends and nobody sees me? Yeah. Well, okay, why? Uh, and and being able to take stock of that, but that. To me, you can't do that without a therapist or a coach, right? You need somebody else speaking those things into you because sometimes we get confused. The lies we've been telling us ourselves, we actually think are truth Mm. and we need to be called out on that kind of stuff. Uh, And and so I will say people need to understand there's bouts of being lonely Mm. and then there's pervasive loneliness. Mm. And I think there's a big difference there. Bouts of being lonely are like COVID, like good grief being you know, shut down and taken away. Isolation breeds that as well. Uh, so there's bouts of that, but 
uh, you know, a lot of us were able to find ways around that through Zoom sessions and phone calls and, you know, things we did with our families. But I think pervasive loneliness is, uh, is this place of being stuck. Mm. And so if there are people listening that are feeling like they're in pervasive loneliness, like, okay, like that's, let's, let's call it what it is. Let's call it out. Um, and then let's take in the first step of reaching out to somebody, whether it be a, a pastor or a coach or uh, a therapist to go, I need some help figuring out how I got here and, and where, I, where do I need to go from here? But the reason I chose loneliness is because depression breeds loneliness, anxiety breeds loneliness, any kind of mental distress or disorder. If we want to look at the DSM five diagnostic manual, I think the thread through a lot of those is, is relational connection and loneliness. Um, and so I think trying to level the playing field for people that go, well, uh, I don't have a mental disorder, but I'm lonely. Okay. Well then this, this is for you too. Let's talk through this, you know, and I talk through uh, a lot. My favorite part of the book is really just recognizing uh, that there isn't a word for relationship in the Hebrew and Greek. It's the word for redemption and how God recognized that at the fall, we had that separation, which bred loneliness and isolation. And so he wasn't going to provide us relationship. He was going to provide us re- redemption through the blood of his son on the cross. Wow. And, and, and we see that being traced throughout scripture. And that just like, huh. Just made me pause. You know, I I actually, that. I remember sitting here at this desk as I'm d- diving into scripture, just just weeping, going, "Lord, man, alive! You, uh, why would I think any different?" But here we are, seeing the direct desire for you to redeem us, and redeem is wow. to be made whole again, you know, and to bring back from what was lost. Wow. wow. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that just that blows my mind. I didn't realize that. You, oh, man, that's and there's so much to unpack there as well, mm-hmm. because what I was going to say, even before you said that is that it seems to me these like little bouts of loneliness, right? This, you know, that those actually, <clears throat> and correct me if you think, if you think differently about this, but as I'm kind of processing it, the little bouts of loneliness, what they can do for us is they can, they can, if we lean into those bouts of loneliness, and begin to get curious about why am I feeling this loneliness right now, then they can actually prevent us from that pervasive sense of loneliness because we can, we can begin to diagnose, okay, why am I not feeling very content with being alone? Right. Right. Um, in, in fact, I mean, solitude is a spiritual discipline, right? It's something that, that we should exercise. Jesus did. He went away to a lonely place. It says often in scripture, right. That we should exercise because, the shalom, the the peace that that you know God brings to us is that we can, you know, have these moments where we're alone, where it's just, just you know, the Lord and me, right? That's it. Yep. And sometimes those little bouts of loneliness remind us of that, right? Whether it's because mm-hmm. the Lord, in His sovereignty, He pulled people out of your, you know, out of your your world a little bit, and now you're feeling like, man, where's my community? Where's my, and so he's reconnecting you to like, Hey, remember, this is where your, your sustenance is. This is where you are being satisfied to your soul level. Yeah. And out of that, then you can serve other people in great community. Right. Um, you know, as a, as a little addendum, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about how, if you approach community 
for what you can get out of it, you start to undo that community because community is all about what we out of the overflow of what's going on in our own soul can pour into others. Right. And then we receive so much from that as well. And that's what feels like community. But then, you know, the fact that, you know, that it seems like that the fact that redemption is really the plan that God has for us, it almost, it's almost like he, he desires to kind of bring us into these spaces where we realize out of loneliness man, I need redemption. I need, like, there are so longs for something that's other than what this world can offer. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I think that's that's why we need each other. I mean, that's why we need to speak these truths into what's going on and where we're at. Um, And I think the lie that loneliness brings is it's never going to get any better, right? And so we just hole up, we isolate, uh, and that creates, you know, uh, compounding issues. Uh, and so for those that are listening, my, my biggest encouragement is recognize where you're at. Don't judge it. Don't put shame attached to it, but go, okay, what do I need to do to begin to change the course of where I'm at? And that might be a baby step. That might be reaching out to somebody and going, Hey, I, I'm sorry. I haven't talked to you in a long time, but I'm, I'm struggling. I need somebody, you know, and just taking that risk. Um, and that's, that's scary, but the alternative is staying where you're at. Right. Can we, can we talk about this for a second? I know we were kind of getting to a point where we, we need to come to a close for, for your time and I want to value that, but I just, you, you're doing a lot of work with pastors and churches now as a former pastor yourself. Right. And, and obviously over the past two years with everything that's been going on, COVID political climate, all that stuff, right. The, my pastor friends are telling me this is the most isolating, lonely, yeah. se- discouraging season they've ever felt. Right. Um, how do you interject in that space right now as you're kind of commentating on what's going on, but also shepherding pastors? What would you say to any church leader, pastor, ministry leader that's listening to this right now? I think it's kind of a compounded response because I think uh, many of them are doing the best they can with what they've got. And Mm so it it could be a cultural thing that I want to speak to the church, the elders, the deacons, the, those in leadership over that pastor, you know, do we create a context for them to wrestle, to struggle, to, to even fail within confines, you know, of, of expectations. I think a lot of the reasons that we see ministers and pastors and families having issues is we don't give them opportunity to wrestle and to struggle to say, Hey, you know what? I struggled with pornography when I was in high school and college and, you know, it, it popped back up over, uh, over COVID, you know, and I recognize that and, you know, I need some support. If that means I need to take a sabbatical and get some work out, whatever. But we're so afraid to even say I'm wrestling with depression or anxiety mm-hmm. that, that, uh, we're afraid that our job is going to be on the line. Like I, I get so frustrated when I hear that a pastor didn't say something because they're afraid that they're going to lose their job. I'm like, what right. kind of community and congregation are we creating that wow. the pastor, the shepherd of the congregation can't even speak up to their own struggles. Yeah. Like that is a toxic culture. And so yeah. that's why I think, you know, I'm seeing uh, uh, this grassroots movement of a lot of organizations and churches going, okay, help us come in and, and figure out how to create a culture that allows for struggle and allows for wrestling. And then how do we set up that for success, right? We don't want to stay there, right? right? right. But how do we create a culture that, champions growth and transparency and vulnerability and 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 i so i think some of the pastors listening if that's not the culture you're in you know one who you know who can you bring in to to help navigate that 
or two, maybe you need to take a step back and go, is this the right place for you? And that's a scary question yeah. too, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, do I, am I holding on just for appearance sake or do I need to really take stock and go maybe for the sake of my family and the sake of my uh, own heart and soul, I need to look for a different place to do ministry. Wow. Man, Mark, uh, I could, we could sit and talk about this for hours. We really could. This is, um, you know, uh, this is, this conversation has stirred me up. I don't know if it's because I'm the third, third cup of coffee in right now, or if this, but these things <laughs> yeah, that you're saying I'm, and, and my, like just my holy discontent in life and what I feel like my purpose is in life is just so in line with what you're talking about right now. And, um, so listen, I know our listeners are gonna be the same way. They're going to want to know how can I tune into more of what Dr. Mark Mayfield is doing, what you're saying, what you're writing, what you're, so where can, where can we follow, uh, your work? Where can we get more connected with you? Yeah, I'm in the process of kind of redeveloping some things. Um, once we move, we're going to, I'm creating a studio. So I'm going to be starting a podcast here probably this summer called, uh, can, uh, conversations with Dr. Mayfield. And we're just having these kind of candid conversations with different people and about life, mental health ministry. Uh, you can check me out at drmayfield.com, my website. I've got a, uh, links to my books. I've got a book for parents on suicide and self-injury that's a free download. Wow. Um, working on my, my third book right now um, that's coming out in the mental health month of 23. Um, you know, and then social media. I'm not – I should be better at social media. I don't like social media, but I know that it's important. So yeah. uh, the Dr. Mayfield for Instagram and Facebook and then um, – I jumped into the TikTok realm, and so I've got a Dr. Mayfield TikTok as well, but haven't done much with that yet. Um, but yeah, I think if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to my Dr. Mayfield page. You know, and uh, we have uh, just a desire to really create some more content moving forward that helped uh, in the, kind of the discipleship around mental and emotional health. Mm. And so that'll be coming here in the next uh, six eight months. Yeah, wow, that's great. Well, I know. I'll be tuning into that stuff. I mean, you've really stirred me up in this conversation, so I really appreciate it. And I know that you've stirred up our community as well. And I know that more than that, you've really helped to shine the light on some stuff, some real struggles that so many of our, our community is um, they're, they're wrestling with. And so I appreciate mm-hmm. that. I appreciate both the, the cerebral and pastoral approach that you take from it. So it's, I, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Davey, you weren't kidding. I mean, that yeah. conversation was absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, it really uh, was. On a number of levels. I mean, the <laughs> things that he talked about, his own story, of course. Right. And as a mom, I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, you know, protect my sons. Um, but the loneliness and the what we need for our healing, I, you're exactly right when you said earlier that this guy is embodying what Nothing Is Wasted is about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, to so your good. point, I hadn't thought about, about this until you just said that about, you know, your boys and and as I'm a parent, you know, we're mm-hmm. my kids are in an age where we're just now beginning to have some of those conversations about what they're feeling and what they're thinking and they're, you know, they're yeah. able to start thinking a little bit more abstractly uh, at mm-hmm. eight and seven. They're able to start communicating their feelings in a little bit more terminology mm-hmm. than, you know, grunts or, or, or I don't know, or I'm sad, whatever. Right. Like, you <laughs> right, know, right, right. You're able to kind of come back from school and tell us what happened and what, how it made them feel. And it just challenged yeah. me. Cause it's like, how, am I as a parent creating space 
for them to be able to, mm-hmm. to um, externalize those things, process mm-hmm. those things, because, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Dr. Mark Mayfield talked about, you know, he for a long time just suppressed that. And he had great parents, he said he had a great, right. but, but they're just, right. nobody was versed enough to know, Hey, we've got to create yeah. this space for you to be able to articulate these emotions. Yeah. And it compounded I, itself over time, you know. Oh, and I do think that is so important, especially especially in this day and age when and I know he talks about this, but we're reading so much about how the the suicide rate, especially amongst young people, is just going up right. and up and up and up and up and is becoming a an endemic in itself. It and um to be able, like you were just saying, to create safe spaces even around the dinner table right. or in the car when you're driving with your child to just help them like it's okay that they have emotions it's okay to express them and even help give them like verbiage and and ultimately if your child is really hurting to get them to a therapist or a coach or some of these other um resources that dr mayfield talked about as well yeah absolutely so important what i love about this conversation is again it just echoes everything we have been saying for a few years with nothing is wasted Mm, yeah everything from the importance of really leaning into your emotions not letting them guide you, but letting them be a gauge, mm-hmm. acknowledging them, you know, obviously not suppressing them or stuffing them down. Mm-hmm. Um, it, all the way to, you know, this, the, when he, when he talked about how important purpose was, finding purpose right. was so important in pulling him up out of this like pervasive depression and anxiety that he was feeling about his own identity. Mm-hmm. It's like in that conversation where we had about purpose, it was like, man, Purpose is way more than just a career path. Purpose is a is a way of a way of being that is stemmed from whose you are and you know mm. who yeah. you are in Christ. And yeah. I mean, we t- I mean, how many times do we talk about that? That purpose is the thing that you're going to find as you get through the, your valley, and it's the thing that pulls you through your valley. You know? Absolutely. I'm even thinking back on our our uh, episode with Clarissa Mall, who talked about that same thing. Like, it's the goal is not necessarily like total healing this right. side of heaven. The goal is purpose as you're grieving That's and right. as you're uh, recovering from your trauma, because that is a major aspect of the healing process. And That's so, right. just you're right. I mean, you, you know, you've got the pain to purpose course, right. other things that we offer here at Nothing Is Wasted that are really all about helping somebody find their purpose in the middle of their pain point. Yeah. Yeah. And let's just take a moment, Aubrey, and just, you know, I I feel like there's going to be so many of you guys after that conversation, you're going to be like, okay, what Mm -hmm. is my next step? What can I do here? Well, there's so many next steps that we offer at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. We're not the only ministry that offers these things, but we have been trying to figure out how do we help you no matter where you are on your journey and no matter where you are in this, on the spectrum of, of pain, how do we help to to intersect you where you're at mm-hmm. and bring you to where you need to be? And ultimately it's it's through the Lord. Like that's you cannot yeah. walk through this without a relationship with Jesus. But you know, we obviously want to highlight the podcast. If there's someone in your in your sphere of influence that's going through something difficult, it's an easy, shareable thing yeah. to give to them. Yeah. We have a lot of resources online, including our yeah. online community. So if you're looking for community, if you're looking for other people who are walking through the same thing or who have walked through it, that's mm-hmm. a great place to go. We want to encourage you to do that. We also mm-hmm. have resources that you can pay for as well, that you can, um, you know, you can invest in your own healing by joining the, the Nothing Is Wasted membership, uh, Community Plus membership. Uh, we also have the Pain to Purpose course. If you want to take that uh, 
at, by yourself online, or if your church offers that, or if you want your church to start offering that, please get in touch with us. But that is a yeah. great way to go from, okay, how do I, we literally talk about the very, very beginning. I think Dr. Mark Mayfield said, your emotions need to become, or these, these painful emotions need to become your old friend, right? You become mm, so literally good. one of the waypoints of the pain to purpose course is befriend your emotions. I was just thinking that isn't don't you have a, a chapter or a waypoint yep. called befriend your emotions? Befriend your emotions, yeah. like you learn to, mm. you're not you're not just sitting with them, right? But you're learning mm. to become acquainted with them, because yeah. your emotions. You, we're gonna have propensities of certain emotions, right? Aubrey, Absolutely. you're gonna feel Depending certain emotions our... more regularly than I am, and I'm gonna feel yes. certain emotions more regularly than yeah. you are. Yeah. So we have to learn to become acquainted with those, so that we know how to you know, work through those, downregulate when we need to and and really move forward in those. And so you get, you can take the pain to purpose course. You can hire a certified coach to help walk mm-hmm. you through this. He highlighted the importance of having not only a counselor or a therapist, but also a coach. And exactly what he said about why we need both, I would amen and yes and amen the whole way. And so nothing is wasted.com slash coaching. We've got 30 certified coaches all over the world awesome. with all different pain journeys that are ready to help you on your pain journey. Yeah. So, man, I'm just telling you, you get, you need to, you need to get, take a next step. Yeah. One take of these a is, a, is a next step that you need to take. You don't have to do all of them, but you can mm-hmm. do the next thing. Mm-hmm. And you can find out about all of those next steps at nothingiswasted.com slash community. And just want to reiterate something that Davey's saying too. Um, if you are feeling so overwhelmed by your emotions, especially mm. if it's, especially if it's pain, especially if it's a suicidal thought, would you reach out to somebody? Yeah. Like reach out to us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, yeah. at Davey Blackburn, at Obsamp. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a pastor, reach out, go mm-hmm. to the nothingiswasted.com slash community. Reach out today yep. because we offer these resources for you because we truly believe that God has a good plan, a good yeah. purpose for you, mm-hmm. even in your pain, and does not want you to feel like your life is worthless or invaluable. The Lord has something good for you. And so we would so love good. to invite you to reach out today. So we always want to um, thank Sleeping at Last for providing yep. all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. And again, you can find us on Instagram. Please reach out to us if you need to. We are here for you. We are at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, at Davy Blackburn, at Obsamp. So good. And Davey, why don't you tell our listeners about next week? Yeah, next week we have an awesome conversation with, uh, I'm really excited we're having this conversation with him because I've been able to have conversations with him face to face before, and he's been so encouraging to me. And now we get to have a conversation on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. This is with Pastor Derwin Gray. Love Um, him. Love this man. Amazing. And Mm -hmm. you're going to get, you're going to get set on fire with Pastor yeah, Derwin Gray, Gray. So uh, just go ahead and listen to this little clip from our conversation with Derwin Gray and make sure you tune in next week. Historically, when you look at the church in America, oftentimes it has been white Christians who have been supportive of right. enslaving people made in the image of God, supportive of Jim Crow and segregation, Mm. supportive of even now not even addressing systemic issues of racial injustice, even in the church. Like for me, I'm excited about where the church has come from, even when I first started ministry. It's like Mm. 
No one wanted to even talk about these issues. Yeah. So I do think that we have we have come a long way. But what I'm proposing is there are deeper levels of discipleship that we can go to teach us to love in such a way mm. that it actually reflects the kingdom of God.